Hey, this is kind of a fun one I'm bringing to you this week. Uh, it is a two-parter. It's the first two-parter that I've ever done on uh, Create Collaborate, The Reluctant Book Marketer, or TRPM. I've never done a two-part episode before. I've had some repeat guests. Chris Talon would be one of them. Rich Hosek would be another. But this is the first intentionally two-part interview that I have done for the podcast. And it's because I really enjoyed the story and we didn't get anywhere in the proximity of finishing telling it. So we did go into part two and part one is fantastic. Part two veers off track and we start talking about philosophy and religion and all kinds of different things. So I don't know how I'm going to edit part two yet, but it's a totally different conversation. Not what I was expecting. And I really enjoyed it as well. So please enjoy this first part with Jason Chang. He's my guest. I found him on Twitter, just like I find all of you storytellers. Keep it up. Keep bringing me great stories. I am running out of episodes to air, so I will be actively looking for people to tell stories. If you're listening to this, you want in the mix, and you think that I didn't see a very deserving story idea, just shoot me a message on Twitter. All you got to do is message me. I keep my messages wide open, and while I don't see everything on my Twitter feed because there's a lot of activity, I will see your messages. I will always see your messages and I will respond to them. Sorry for the background noise. It is a, you know, kind of a, a day off for the family. Kids are home Friday, getting ready to edit Monday's episode. And then I want to ask you, if you will, go ahead and pick up a copy of my book, The Nine Lives of Marva DeLongheim. If you want all three ebooks for just $12.99, I've got a special deal I'm running right now. You can grab those. It'll never be as cheap, but you're getting it really inexpensively for ebooks because I still have two of those books in pre order. If you want to pick up a hardback copy, I can get you one for $10 plus shipping and handling. Let me know that too. These deals, I don't post anywhere. You've actually got to reach out to me so that I can send you the link. It's just the way it goes. This is a good book. I'm getting a lot of reviews about it, and I'm super excited with how it's doing. I think you'll love it. If you're a mystery reader, pick it up. And last but not least, again, please enjoy my conversation with Jason Chang. If you've ever watched an author read in public and felt bored, TRBM is the antidote. TRBM is for writers. What time lapse was for painters? Guitar solos and spotlight were for bands. What chainsaws and ice blocks were for sculptors? What does TRBM stand for? Tame radicals buying machetes? Tarkington rowling bellows? Malyamud? Textured rabid beautiful mediocrity? You decide. All right, so I am a software developer specifically on the front end. And so I like to tell people I make deal with boxes all days and make things look pretty. Just started a new job a couple of months ago. It's with a okay. casino games company. So we make slot machines and stuff. So it's a very interesting field of work, both in yeah. topic and in the fact that we actually deal with the hardware and stuff. I was going to say, is there, there's got to be some element then where they actually want you to design a visual appearance that has some level of... I don't want to say addictive because I think, I think the casinos are great. I like to, uh, I like to gamble a little bit here and there and play poker and things like that, but there is an element where they want you to stay and spend more money. Right. And I mean, is that, is that built into design? That's absolutely true. I'm not an expert on that. Cause that would be sure. more of the user interface, user experience design. Element. Those are like the artists and stuff who know a lot more about it. 
I'm more on the build the functionality for the admins on, okay, now we got to track all our inventory. Can you make tables that actually tell us what we want? I have last year signed a contract for th uh, the first three books of my series, Heroes Incorporated, with the Champagne Book Group. So we're going to be releasing that in, I believe, June. We just started the editorial process. So, you know, there's always a, a, a lack of clarity on how long that's actually going to take, but we're shooting to release the first book, The Intern, in June. The basis of the tweet, we both agree, is that uh, you are framed for uh, wrongdoing at the school. And the question is why? And so your response provoked me to, to invite you to be on the show. And mm -hmm. that's the one place where I'm, I'm going to come up short. So hopefully you remember your response and we'll just we'll riff on it from there. And here's a brief editorial interruption. We had a heck of a time finding the tweet that we were going to use for this storytelling episode. And after doing a little bit of researching, I finally found it after the fact. Here's the tweet that we are discussing. I said, why do you move to Manhattan, Kansas after your college advisor tells you you have been expelled from university for cheating? And Jason replied, because that's where the son of a bitch who frames me lives framed me lives and I ain't leaving till we set things straight. Right. So I think the it was confirmed that I was already expelled from university and I'll speak in the first person. And then so because my life was upended, I end up moving to a small town in in the middle of nowhere. But the question is why do I move out to that town and what happens when I do? And so my response was, I moved there because I found out that the guy who framed me lives there. Now I'm about to get my dues and set things straight. And that's right. That's where we'll begin. I love a good revenge story. Uh, before we dive into the story, are there mm -hmm. any revenge stories that, that just pop right to the top of your mind where you're like, man, that story is everything a good revenge story should be? You know, I can't say specifically because... So I like to read online comics and then the ones that I've been just absolutely hooked on for like the last year or so are mm -hmm. definitely the, the Korean isekai ones, the ones where someone okay. is reborn with all of their mm -hmm. memories or something. And most of the time oh, it's because yeah. they got screwed over royally or they failed to save the world. And so they get, go back through, get reunited with old allies, find cheap ways to get super powered super early on. And it's just <laughs> an epic power trip. And there is so much revenge in so many of those stories. <laughs> mm, I'd love that. You need to send me a link to something so I can go down that rabbit hole. I just published my first novel. It's a self-published novel, The Nine Lives of Marvita Longhai. And really at the center of that book is uh, the, the, the main character, Luke Evelyn Mia or Leukemia or Detective Luke uh, is basically every time she fails to accomplish the goal, she mm -hmm. dies as a result of it and has to redo the whole thing. So it's kind of a little bit like um, Groundhog Day, the film for people who have seen that, but in a totally mm -hmm. different spin on it. And it sounds similar to that where someone, you know, goes back for revenge. They get to go back. So they have their memories. They know things and they're able to use that memory to yeah. then... Yeah, get vengeance. That's very exactly. similar idea. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, well, I need I need that from you. So send that to me after we're done with the I podcast. I will hook you up. 
I actually didn't plan too much because I like to uh, let's let's have a dialogue. So the first question is kind of like I always analogize everything to food. So like when you're going to a restaurant, the first question I always ask is what am I in the mood for? Is it something heavy or something light? So yeah. for this kind of revenge story, are we going for something nitty gritty where it's you know really about the emotional impact, or are we going on the lighthearted comedy route where things get way out of hand in a ridiculous fashion? What are you in the mood for? Phenomenal question. I, I already know. I can tell I'm going to love this. Okay. So here is my, here's the core of me. What I really love to do is to take mm-hmm. a super duper serious, heavy, uh, like gritty, dark story, but make mm-hmm. sure that there's humorous elements in it. I always want humor to feel like if you're scuba diving, it's your breath of air or something like that. Okay. Okay. So serious focus, but with just enough to keep you breathing. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Like some, some laughing moments where there's something funny. I really enjoy that. All right. In that case. So then, so let's talk about the characters. So I don't like to say, put myself in it because, you know, I don't know how I'm going to react to this and I don't want to, there's always that tug of, you know, it was like, I'm going to do everything perfectly and everyone's going to love me. And it's like, Hey, is your name Gary? Let's, so let's not use me specifically, but what kind of character are we talking about? Like we were talking about Haley, someone who's quiet and kind and then just gets screwed over. Someone who was Mm. on top of the world, like his persona, bombastic, and then just gets cut out from under him. Yeah, you know, it feels to me like the and and, and again, take take your spin on this. Mm -hmm. But this character does feel like somebody who maybe on the surface has always appeared to be a little bit quiet. I don't want to go too office space with it where it's, um, you know, like a, a rambling, bumbling idiot but somebody who maybe you underestimate and they've got a little Mm -hmm. bit of rage i think inside that's kind of my feeling about this all right so okay then let's say that let's uh i don't know i was thinking uh alan for some reason as a name so let's just run with that we can always (laughs) change that later so you know a guy in university top of the class one of those quiet kids who he's not the go-getters always raising his hand in class but for some he's he always just is on top of things just seems to have that inside track onto what the professor's thinking, aces the exams, never rubs it in anyone's face, doesn't have to because everyone knows he's the smart guy. And that pisses some people off. Yes. And so that's probably what motivated the guy to frame this person. Because if he's going to take down anyone, it's going to be that guy because he's probably laughing at everyone, you know, when he goes back and hangs out with his friends saying how stupid everyone is and how great I am when no. He's just working hard, doing his own thing, not mm. caring the world until you made an enemy of him. And now <laughs> you done effed up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love it. <laughs> Framed. Yes. So then let's talk about the villain because we said in the middle of nowhere. So that kind of usually when people think mm-hmm. of, you know, a framing person, someone who's really rich and connected and stuff. Mm-hmm. So then... Why would this person be out in the middle of nowhere? So, yeah. Now, there are a couple of options. One, we could say that he really is like one of those, you know, trust fund kids who's out there because they have like a 500 acre ranch or something. And then he's vacationing there as an excuse to, you know, do all sorts of debaucherous things away Mm -hmm. from prying eyes. You could go also with more. And then this is where it gets a little more off the rails, like, you know, cult kind of behavior, where the reason that he's out in the middle of nowhere is because he's like the god king of a really entrenched community. 
So yeah. what do you feel? It's something more realistic or something where we can bring in the fantasy and the eldritch and have fun with some uh, more cosmic horror kind of deals. I am, I'm a huge fan of cosmic horror when it feels okay. So in mm-hmm. fact, this will, this will just be a, a window into my story creation method. I was okay. mapping my, uh, I have a nine book novel series right now mm-hmm. and I was, I was thinking about, yeah, there's absolutely, when you say this cosmic thing, I've got two characters who are kind of like the, um, the, I can't think of the archetypes for chaos and order, but they're mm-hmm. real, real people. And they bounce around mm-hmm. uh, always trying to win. So you have chaos is, is, is fighting to create a world full of chaos and order is fighting to create a world full mm-hmm. of order. Um, but at the same time, I made a note very explicitly to myself. This is not about like the existence of the universe. Like the, don't make this a world kind of, struggle. It's just two mm-hmm. people who happen to embody all of chaos and all of order, but in this sort of pedestrian setting, that to me is fascinating. So I really like the idea of both of the small town that you're talking about, of having this character who's larger than life, kind of magical, but also where the stakes aren't necessarily the world will be destroyed if we lose. Does that make sense? Yes. The Basically, you can have the stakes as big as you want, but keep the story personal. I think so. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. I am on board with that. And then, so that's the thing. So let's have the villain. Let's see. We have A and then uh, or an O-R-E-N for A and O, Alpha and Omega, because why not? Let's just get a little uh, symbolic with it here. Orin. So then I love villains who are very human. And so the whole eldritch horrors thing, the whole trying to call out to gods and then twist reality, it's not because of some grand desire to, you know, usher in the symbol of their devotion. No, it's purely selfish motivation. They're in it for the Mm -hmm. power. They love Mm -hmm. to control people. They want to be on top. That's it. It's all about self-serving and ego. And that's the only reason that guy screwed or unscrewed with Alan. Mm -hmm. Pure human pettiness. Yeah, He just happens to have a lot more at his fingertips that he can use to be petty with. Yeah. I love this idea. It reminds me so much of this. There's a novel called Stoner. And I think some people assume that it's about pot, but it's actually a a book written a long time ago by a guy Mm -hmm. named John Williams. And it's about a professor who's just like a straight up good man who gets involved Mm -hmm. in this kind of competitive situation with another professor at the school. And the Mm -hmm. other professor, for no other reason, but that he's petty and jealous, Mm -hmm. makes John Stoner's, I think it's John Stoner's uh, mm-hmm. life, just a living hell. He does everything he can because he's a petty person. There's no other reason. And I actually love that villain. I really do. Exactly. Because you know you can encounter someone like that. Yes. And it's kind of freaky that you know that you can encounter someone. Like yes, that. exactly. Right. So we have our hero and we have our villain. And so we open up, as it is, is with Alan getting expelled and Oren being the smuggest bastard about it, just <laughs> rubbing in his face, never saying anything obvious that could get him incriminated, but it's the wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We all know who did it kind of deal. Uh, yeah. And that's when something in Alan snaps, the little rage where he's never really ha- been in touch with it because life has been quiet and calm so far. Mm-hmm. But that rub, it's like, you know, rubbing like a, a scratch on the surface reveals the metal underneath. Mm-hmm. It shows a little something. Yeah. And so that's when Alan starts turning his attentions to figuring out what Orin's deal is to try to get 
first yeah. off, not just revenge, but just to clear his name because he just wants to get his life back. Right. And he needs, That's how it starts. He wants yes. his life back in the beginning. It's going to get bigger than that, I think, for exactly. sure. Exactly. Yeah. So then, let's say it's towards the end of the year, so it's summer break, which gives him a reason and time for Orin to go back to his hometown and for Alan to figure it out and follow him there. Mm-hmm. And so, thus, we get into a setting. And I love, you know, perfectly idyllic settings where everything is just the way it should be. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Exactly. The, uh, the Stepford wives, if they had had a, a better, like more meteor substance under the surface. Exactly. So he shows up at this town and I'm thinking, you know, like classic small town vibes, you know, a little slice of perfect Americana, you know, good, wholesome looks and main street is nice and everything. But as soon as he even starts approaching questions about Oren's family, people get a little too interested in him and a little too mm. intense on trying to figure out, oh, so what are you doing here? Oh, so how do you know him? Oh, so why yeah. are you asking about this anyway? Oh, where are you staying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And being smart, he instantly, he has no idea what's going on, but he knows that something is off. Mm-hmm. And then so he takes a little step away from it. And here we can go in a couple of directions. Do we A, have him do a little research and then start finding out a little bit more about the town? Mm. Or do we showcase Oren's power where even that little ripple was enough to get back to him and they jump him in the middle of the night, pull him out right. of his hotel room. Yeah. And then we see just how much influence Oren really has. Oh, that's a good question. I love, I love the uh, choose your own adventure element here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, my, so one thing too, before we jump into that, I yeah. want this one story beat where you get that Alan, even though this is the moment where he's going to tap into the rage, I want one mm-hmm. moment, maybe just this, I, I don't love flashbacks, but somehow to incorporate that he's gotten there before, never at this level. And mm-hmm. it's almost like a, like a, a uh, high school bully or something along those lines where uh, a completely innocuous event leads to him maybe pummeling a kid. It's the only fight he's ever gotten in, but just something really stupid. Like uh, somebody argues about who's taller and that just drives him crazy. And he goes, he goes crazy. Yeah. You've got a thought. So, so what is the, what would that be used for? Is it simply to show that he has a psychotic side to him or is there a reason that, we want to show that so that we can do something else with it later. Both. Because I okay. think that a good story always does. If, if, if someone speaks a line of dialogue, dialogue mm-hmm. can never just be words. It always has to be action as well, but not in the um, expository kind of way. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're not, you're not delivering important plot details mm-hmm. through dialogue, but you are, you are creating a richer character through the way they speak or something like that. So I mm-hmm. want it to be both. But I do want the weight in this situation to be on uh, kind of let's talk about like let's let's call it like an exponential ability, like a multiplier. So if he's mm-hmm. able to lose his crap on a, a, a classmate or mm-hmm. just somebody who's of the same age mm-hmm. because of this, imagine mm-hmm. what he could do when the stakes are so much higher. So I, I think that there's that as well. All right. Now. As you were saying that, I was thinking like with the Eldritch thing, with the uh, Cosmic Horror, with the entities watching this kind of stuff going on, Mm -hmm. will that appeal to anyone? Because 
clearly this town has some kind of patron, but mm-hmm. maybe because of that, the, the, the fabric of reality is a little frayed here and thus other things are watching in. And some people don't like how uppity Orin's deity has gotten. And so mm. maybe he finds a patron of his own through flipping out. Yeah. Oh, that's, I love that idea. I want you to, I want you to take that and really develop it. Cause I think that's a cool idea. Then, yeah, because, you know, characters struggling with things. Then that's the question is like, he always lived his quiet life. Was that because he thought that it was a good thing to do or simply because he didn't have a reason to rage out mm-hmm. and with the him flipping his lid i'd like to think that it was less of a so this is the moral conundrum is that if he flipped out for something that yeah. he feels was justified and everyone else disagreed with him mm-hmm. then he may be that he ado- it may be that he adopted his quiet demeanor because it's more practical Yes. But it never felt righteous. And thus, this is an excuse for him to say, no, I am the avenging angel. Yeah. What should I be? And then the pull of like, you now have the power to do what you believe is right. Yeah. Should you? Right. Thematically, this is one of my favorite questions. I've never mm-hmm. actually dived into it to try to tell a story with it. But mm-hmm. that the, the thematics of... Um, in fact, I grew up in this. If we're stepping out of the story into real life, I grew up one of the biggest kids in high school um, mm-hmm. for reasons I don't fully understand. I got super into fitness. And so I was I was running a lot. I was exercising. I was lifting a lot of weights. Mm-hmm. And I got like I got big in every sense of the word. I was very mm-hmm. healthy. But I was I was going through school at a time where any level of violence or even just physically standing up for yourself had mm-hmm. huge consequences. You could you could push a kid and get suspended. You could punch a kid and get expelled in the school I went to. Mm-hmm. And so that was very like front of my mind that I was never going to use my physical ability. But mm-hmm. I remember there was this real small kid. I know his name. I can still see his face. He used mm-hmm. to just tease me mercilessly. He was so much quicker with his verbal wit than I was. Mm-hmm. And like, I think of a good response five hours later, he just had him like, boom, boom, boom right there. Yeah. And so I think there's this thematic sense of like, why can a person like me not use my only coping skill or not that not coping, that's a horrible word. My only ability to keep on even ground, but somebody can yeah. use People words. People have different kill. strengths. Why is yeah. yours penalized? Right. Yes, exactly. And I really like that theme. So I think that's playing into what you're asking about this particular character. And yeah. yeah. So it's like, that's the kind of thing. He gets into a schoolyard fight over something that all the adults, all the teachers think is really petty, but it was very important to him. Like mm-hmm. some, you know, like a personal thing where someone said a slur about him that something that's always bugged him. Like the kid has always picked on him for one thing that it's like, you know, a, a rude, a mean nickname that on the surface, it doesn't really mean anything, but it really bugs him. And he's told yeah. him to stop. And finally he snapped and then does something about it. And he's yeah. punished for it. Yes. Yes. And so he that, suppresses like the, the, almost the righteousness. Yeah. And then, so it's like, well, all right, I guess the world sucks and I'll just, you know, play by its rules. And he gets along with it until the world decides to screw with him yet again when he hasn't even done anything. I I love this so much. It's so yeah. much fun because it, it already puts this, this mm-hmm. uh, like Alan, it's such intense pressure that like you're, you're clearly on his side and you're almost mm-hmm. uncomfortable with how badly things are going for him. I love yes. that. And that's the key is that the only pressure, the only thing stopping him is him. He can mm-hmm. go off and do it whenever he wants. And 
we would all feel sort of vindicated if he did. And yet, is that the highest road that he can take or should take? Right. Yeah. Or have we been so conditioned by people like Oren to obey the power structure that mm-hmm. he needs to break out of it? Oof. That's a side character because yeah. I love Joker characters, the ones who mm-hmm. aren't for either side, but come in and then just ruffle things up. Yes. So the in this town, maybe you have someone in the town who for some reason is immune to Oren's family's effects, but someone who mm. is basically every time Alan tries to come to a decision, he just happens to come along and goes, oh, really? <laughs> yes. And plays the devil's advocate and just screws with his head. Maybe yeah. even setting up situations where it's like Alan is trying to run away from people and the guy, mm-hmm. you know, like drops a barrier in front of him and goes like, oh, it's too bad. It's like you're going to have to fight after all. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, man. Oh, this is this is so exciting. This is such a fun setup. Yeah, you have a, a side character who's not for either side. That, yes. by the way, in terms of of books that I read, that mm-hmm. is leveraged far too rarely to have somebody who's a neutral character. I think that neutral characters are way underplayed. You either have like good or evil, but not somebody who's in the middle and just enjoys the fun of seeing the the struggle like elevated to its highest level. Oh yeah, it's such a shame because yeah. what's the point of a story if it's not fun? Yes. And doing something purely because it's fun yeah. while advancing your story, just come on. <laughs> yeah. So we have our side character. We've got we've got Alan, we've got Oren, and the side character. What's a good side character name for somebody like this? Uh, as strange as this sounds, I know you're not going to love it, but I think it's right. It's Peaches. I think that the side character's name is Peaches. It may be a nickname, but everybody knows the person is Peaches. All right. So let's bring the feminine the op- spirit into it too. So this is a lady. Okay. Well, that's the key is that we can have other side characters because a lot of stories, you know, yes. so basically every story I've ever written has a romance at its core. So got to ask, like, <laughs> Me are we doing that? Because we, we can always break from the formula. We know Hollywood loves to have its romantic subplots. Mm-hmm. Do we want it yay or nay on this? Um, if you want me to step out of my comfort zone and you kind of more or less just confess the same way that like you mm-hmm. always have romance, then then mm-hmm. we, we go like straight no. Um, because okay. yeah, I, I always, every story I've ever written is ultimately a secret love story. Like I just, I'm really, really drawn to it. So I can, I can go that way, but let's, mm-hmm. let's write one that's not, let's do one All right. that um, is your, your yeah. solo man. Yeah. So so that was thinking like that there might be other allies or reluctant allies, at least that that's one of the things where Alan can, you know, find someone who maybe some people who do want to resist against Oren's family. And then some people who are like, I don't want to, you know, play either side, but you know, if you want to pay me for like some supplies and stuff, I'll gladly sell to you just get out of my store kind of deal. So we can have peaches, a very unusual day. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And okay, so if it's a feminine character, a lady character, so I'm always a fan of like the rapscallion mm-hmm. archetype, you know, like the little sister kind of character who's like, mm-hmm. you know, the sassy little brat who's coming in and then mouthing off. I don't think that quite fits though, because it's like too on the nose with the whole Peaches nickname. I think so too. I think someone more his age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, even even maybe, possibly like Grizzly. Maybe maybe this lady is like a hard smoking, maybe heavy drinking, like bush light loving kind of a lady. Um, 
I, I still, I'm still really attached mm-hmm. to your idea of that neutrality. So she has to be mm-hmm. strongly neutral in all of her advances. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much she plays the the ends against the middle, though. Is it because you talked about that idea, and I really mm-hmm. like it? Can does she does she have any reason to be connected to Orin in such a way that she can actually play him against uh, Alan as well? Well, see, that brings in so many questions that we would have to answer. Like, first off, like, <laughs> what kind of person is Peaches? Like, when I think of the the Joker character, I literally think of like a jester, acrobatic, mm-hmm. you know, flipping yes. around, pirouettes and like stage dives, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yes. So while you could have like, you know, a chain smoking grandma do that. Okay. That's a little, that's a little too, too. absurd. Okay. You can have her doing absurd things like, you know, walking through doors to nowhere and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like she goes into the store, like she's sitting on the store of a porch eating peaches as her name would imply. And she walks into the store, but then he goes in and then he walks into a broom closet or something. So Mm, weird things like that or things more subtle where it's like Mm -hmm. that hint at her abilities, but never quite clarify, is she actually supernatural or does she just happen to know stuff? But then that's also a question of is Peaches one of the deities or let's just call them the outers. Yeah. Yeah. Is she one of them? Does she have one for a patron? Are they in sync or are they also antagonistic? Cause yeah. is it a civil war going on? And then they're just that's spilling over into interfering with others or are they working on a united front against Oren or simply they're not actually working against Oren. They're just mm-hmm. tweaking his nose because in the grand scheme of things, humans are insignificant. Okay, really strong feelings here. And mm-hmm. I, I'm yeah. going to try to work my direction toward this by saying, I, have you read or seen American Gods? Are you familiar with that story? Neil Gaiman. I've heard, I've heard of it. I don't think I've read it before. Okay, good. So, and, and that's good in a sense, because I'm not, I'm not going to load your brain with any of those ideas. So we'll see where this mm-hmm. goes without it. However, mm-hmm. what I will say is that even though I am, in a, a strong minority here, I think that book was no good. And I think the show was even worse. And what I hated about it is that it did take it too far away. Cause remember, I am super sympathetic to the pedestrian, even when you are working in like godlike figures and massive universal scenarios, I mm-hmm. want to stay really grounded in humanity because that's what truly is interesting to me. Part Part of that is that I came up through the Masters of Fine Arts program, and mm-hmm. the only thing they really took seriously was literary fiction. So it's like slice of life, uh, cheating on your wife, being a parent that was terrible to their kids, that kind of stuff, like just not doing good at your job or longing mm-hmm. for answers. So I love to, I do love to mix that literary closeness with this supernatural. And I say all of that because I don't want this story to go to where the the deities or the others, the outers are where the stakes are at. I don't want the stakes to be that far away. So they're the source of power, but they're not the decision makers. I think so. Or if they're the decision makers, then they need to to operate a bit more like the Greek and Roman gods, where they're, they're so flawed that they can make decisions that actually put them at risk. I feel like that's important. Well, so there's also the Warhammer 40k route of taking the gods where they're basically single dimensional. But okay. Are you familiar with the Warhammer? I'm not. Uh-huh. Okay, so basically, there's the chaos gods, and then there's four primary ones: the god of war, pestilence, pleasure, and change. And so each one is like a like a 
persona and manifestation of that single concept. So the God corn of war is martial prowess fighting. He sits on a throne of skulls and his motto is corn does not care from whence the blood flows so long as it flows. Oh, wow. So that's the thing is that he's just all about one thing. And then he gives Mm -hmm. his power and favor to those who embody what he values. So you can take that route where it's a, you could definitely say they're flawed because, you know, mm-hmm. not nice people, but less so much in the human aspect. Yeah, it's their well, single-mindedness. Now I'm, I'm going to go with that simply because it's simpler yeah. because we ha- already have a lot of characters. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. I would say yeah. that. So I would say that uh, Peaches, let's keep it personal, is that someone who was born and raised in the town before the Orans came? Mm-hmm. And then she's seen what it's done to the place. Yeah. And, it's, and maybe like with the whole Jester thing where it's, she doesn't care what people do, but it's gotten so boring because everyone now behaves the same way. They think the same way. She used to be able to get into arguments with people and there was town drama and there was gossip. And it was just, it was so much fun to be there. And mm-hmm. now she knows exactly what tomorrow's going to be like because it was what was yesterday. And so she just wants somebody to stir the pot. If it turns <laughs> out that Alan you know, raises the town. Well, that's never happened before. So be it. Yeah. I do really like that. She just wants to see something happen. She's tired of the power dynamic being so predictable. Exactly. Okay. And so, and so while it may seem like she's sometimes on Alan's side, she definitely doesn't want him to be just replace Orin. And so she's going to also interfere, which may or may not be for his benefit because the power trip is once again, what we're not sure Alan should be going down. So times where he might ascend a little too quickly, she might interfere, but that might be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on which way you're rooting for him to go. And you have to keep it so perfectly uh, ambiguous to the reader slash Mm -hmm. listener in this case, which is actually the right way. Because I think, I think that we are dealing with there's, Violence is not necessarily the answer. Could be. I think that both need to be left Mm -hmm. on the table so close to the surface that you find yourself kind of waffling. Like, should he go postal or should he figure Mm -hmm. out like the quote unquote diplomatic way to solve the problem? You know, the problem has to be solved and you're cheering for him, but Mm -hmm. you don't know in what capacity you want him to win. And I think the best way in this scenario is pain and pleasure on both sides. Whereas he waffles, in some situations, he chooses violence and others peace. And each time, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Even as the stakes increase, it's never clear because you always get mixed results. Sometimes the person he's violent towards, it turns out that they were like, you know, one of the people who were just trying to survive. And then he just brutalized an innocent person. Mm. Other times he goes after someone and they were one of the monsters who's been serving the the Orans wholeheartedly. And- Mm. They needed to go. Yeah. So then the question, but then other times like you let someone go and they actually come back to screw him over because he didn't finish the job. Yeah. While other times it makes him an ally. So by giving the actual feedback, so what that Alan doesn't know, that way I feel like the reader won't know either because Mm -hmm. the all the evidence contradicts itself. Yeah. What I love so much about the way that this story has developed and grown Mm -hmm. is that 
we're not necessarily pulling the largest source of reader tension and what's propelling people forward from mm-hmm. the actual conflict, but from the internal conflict, what's happening inside of the characters. Mm-hmm. I think both of them, I really, really enjoy that. The one piece I wonder about, and we can mm-hmm. just layer it over is mm-hmm. where are opportunities for humor? I think that you mentioned earlier that with a name as absurd as peaches that you can't mm-hmm. play her for laughs too much she definitely mm-hmm. has to be that joker jester kind of character so she has to have mm-hmm. the humorous elements but mm-hmm. where are the opportunities right now for humor in both alan and Oren that we can kind of give people i don't know there's something really profoundly powerful about being able to make somebody laugh that a really mm-hmm. bad person who's capable mm-hmm. of, of spot on humor can mm-hmm. almost win your heart and vice versa mm-hmm. for somebody like Alan, he can, he can just get you that much closer through a laugh. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, I want to see where this like can layer in. And that's the key is that I can't name any specifics because humor is so context specific. Yeah. It would definitely be as he's going through and then interacting with townsfolk and things are going on for, yeah. let's say example, he's on the midst of a power trip. And then like one of the, let's say Oren's lieutenant, his right-hand man, you know, they're fighting, they're going at it. Not like with cosmic blasts or something, but something personal, like, you know, like someone's trying to knife the other person in the gut. Mm-hmm. And then Alan finally overpowers the other guy and is about to, you know, slit his throat, you know. Yeah. Brutal, very personal violence. And he goes like, give me one reason I shouldn't do this. And then he just says some kind of quip like, I mean, you get kind of bored without me. Right. And then that some like, obviously, that's not the best line. That would be something I would really want to build up to. Yeah. Especially if they had like repeated instances. But maybe like that line is just what at that moment is just hilarious and just Mm -hmm. cracks him up so much that he really can't do it. And that actually leads to a moment where he chooses peace, not for any logical reason, but simply mm-hmm. because he laughed at that moment. Yeah. You can also I, have lesser stake ones, you know, with uh, interesting characters, a sarcastic Alan who, mm-hmm. when faced with trouble, gives quippy one-liners. I am a huge fan of one-liners. I'm a huge fan of one-liners too. They have to be played. They have to be played well. Like That'd the difference be between a bad one-liner and a good one one-liner is, is, uh, the Grand Canyon, man. I mean, you, yeah. if they're if they're bad, they 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 stink terribly. Uh, oh, true. One thing that I have done, and you can't, I, I can never steal from myself again to mm-hmm. to do things again. But I think of the absurd as a great way to get humor in. So, mm-hmm. a couple of uh, things that I needed to tell my readers without exposition was that the story Mm -hmm. they were going to read in the detective arc was supernatural. Mm -hmm. I I needed them Mm -hmm. to know pretty quickly you're dealing with supernatural because it it reads a little bit like a hard boiled, the big sleep kind of Humphrey Mm -hmm. Bogart, Lauren Bacall, just Mm -hmm. real straight detective story for, for Mm -hmm. seven chapters. So close to, Mm -hmm. uh, I think 70 pages before you realize that you're dealing with supernatural, but I needed to tip people off to that. So I used Mm -hmm. humor as a way to do that. And one of the main characters eats, Every single scene that he's in where he's mentioned, 
he has food. <laughs> You're like, where did he get this from? You know, it starts out kind of like simple stuff. Like he's got a sandwich in the first scene and he's eating a big sandwich. You're like, fine. He could have made that off, off screen, so to say, or, mm-hmm. or off page. Um, but then the next time you see him, he's, he's like eating a bag of pretzels and then he pulls out a, a fried chicken wing and like the things get more and more ridiculous. You're like, where in the world does all this food come from? Like they're in the car and he's eating 20 things. I can't figure it out. And it, I think it's just this subtle way of playing for a mm-hmm. laugh and at the same time telling your reader, Hey, there's more going on here than just a straightforward story we're trying to build in these magical layers. Mm-hmm. So I want to borrow from that in whatever we do for Alan or for uh, for Oren. And then that causes me to lean into M. Night Shyamalan. Because mm-hmm. for me, and I don't know about you, but for me, he's mm-hmm. one of the best at magic. He's really, really good at his magic. And so I'm thinking he's got that character in Lady in the Water who's beastly strong on one side of his body and just kind of average on the other side, which is Mm -hmm. physiologically impossible. But those kind of things cue you in to the magic. Mm -hmm. I don't even know. I'm not necessarily uh, proposing a solution. I'm just saying, I think that's where Mm -hmm. our solution lays. Definitely love the absurdist humor. That would once again require other characters because Alan would, like from his perspective, he would know exactly what's going on. So he couldn't be the source Good of the point. absurdity. He would it'd have yeah. to draw from other places. So like he meets someone and they're running through a sewer as great as locked. He's like, crap, if only we had a key, the key. And the guy yes. pulls out the key. He's like, where yes. did you get that? Well, I've always had it. And then just like, <laughs> exactly. whatever, and then just keep moving. That's very Kafka-esque of you. I really like it. I love that. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Humor, like that's the kind of thing where it's like after the framework is laid and as scenes come up, that's mm. where I would insert it because it's so hard. I don't like to try to write a scene to be funny because then it almost always derails me from mm. where the story should go. And then Brilliant. It, it's like, okay, then I'm serving the scene rather than the scene serving the story. Ah, so, okay. We're stepping outside of this story entirely to start talking about that philosophically, because I think mm-hmm. I agree with you. And yet I also think that humor added as spice is not in like in truth, what humor is. So mm-hmm. this is, this is a tough one. Um, I use humor, for example, with my wife for a mm-hmm. variety of reasons. But if I'm being honest and I'm thinking about my day to day, I think more often than not, I use humor as a way to test the temperature of an unfamiliar setting. So if I think I've mm-hmm. upset her, I'll try to throw out a joke. And if mm-hmm. she's in a specific mood, she'll receive the joke. And she might not laugh because mm-hmm. like half my jokes are awful, but she'll still mm-hmm. receive it and be like, oh, but you know, whereas mm-hmm. if if we're in dangerous waters, she might completely ignore that joke or mm-hmm. I might catch a glimpse from her face that this is not the appropriate time to be throwing out a joke. And so I'm using mm-hmm. humor as as kind of a, a probe, I guess. I don't like that word for all the context, mm-hmm. but uh in that way, I think layering in humor after the fact, you lose the spectrum for which humor can really be effective. Well, okay. So maybe I misspoke because it's not like you finish writing the story and then you go mm-hmm. back and then edit in okay. humor. That's sure. not what okay. I'm talking about. I got you. It's okay. More, yeah. That's, that's more that I don't have specific jokes in mind that I will put in a yes, situation. Absolutely. Scripted jokes don't yeah. work. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. And I definitely have a less calculating version of humor because 
I'll make word, you know, like wordplay and puns. I'll say mm-hmm. them to myself simply because it amuses me to have noticed that Likewise. unique pattern. So yeah. that's the kind of thing where humor for me is that I go in and then I kind of have a gauge on how much I want to let out. Yeah. And then wherever I can pick up something, then I'll work a little there. So it's more like you're, seas- you're seasoning and tasting as you go, knowing mm-hmm. in mind that at the end of the dish, you want it spicy, but with a little bit of sweetness in the aftertaste. Yeah. So you know that you're going to add sugar, but probably not too much right. as you're moving through it. I really like it. Yeah. Finishing salt is a, um, from, from all of the cooking shows. Salt I watched. <laughs> yes. Oh, I hate to do this right now, but uh, my, my family life is now encroaching on podcast time and uh, mm-hmm. my youngest son just went to wrestling practice. So that means that I need to wrap up and help uh, move into the next phase of things. What I would like to do, and I can cut mm-hmm. this part of the podcast if, um, if, if I need to, but I'd like to mm-hmm. invite you back to finish this story. In the meantime, for people mm-hmm. who love this as much as I did, please let them know mm-hmm. how to get a hold of your writings, your Twitter, everything you, so that people can connect with you and be ready for the next episode. Yeah. So at this point, I'm really just trying to get more plugged into the Twitter sphere and stuff. So my handle is Scribbles on Twitter. And I have a personal website, which is just jasonchangscribbles.com. So it has my contact information there. Feel free to reach out, give me a like and a follow and all of that stuff. And I hope to see you around as I give uh, more details on the my novel, The Intern, for, to release this summer, hopefully, possibly. Stay tuned to find out. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening?